Is every heart clear this evening? All right, well, then we'll just look into God's Word, looking in the book of Matthew, Mark, and Luke tonight. Matthew chapter 8, beginning, Mark chapter 8, moving on down to Luke chapter 14. Talking about being a disciple, that's what the focus is again tonight. Second installment, if you want to consider it as the third, perhaps, that's fine too, but specifically the second one. Let's bow our hearts together this evening in asking for God's help in this part. Our Father, we're thankful again for your blessings Thank you for the opportunity that we have of worshiping together and your presence that we've been able to sense and to enjoy tonight. As we sang together, as we heard of praises, as we shared in lifting burdens, so many things and opportunities for us to give worship to you. As we open up your word tonight, I pray for your divine touch. Pray that you would give me strength and help. You would give me that anointing that is needed, be able to effectively communicate your word to our hearts this evening. I need you, unable by myself. So I pray, Lord, that you would hide me behind the cross, hide the human as much as possible. It's in Jesus' name I pray, amen. Beginning here in Matthew chapter 8, verse number 18, and you have to keep in mind that as I'm looking down through here, as we're reading this, the whole focus is on being a disciple. Each one of us being a disciple. So here we begin, Matthew chapter 8, verse 18. Now when Jesus saw great multitudes about him, he gave commandment to depart unto the other side. If we could pause there for a moment and take into consideration what he is doing and how it applies to us, even as a disciple. He is the Son of God, but we as disciples. We would find within the fine print of that verse that he was even expressing the necessity of getting away, getting alone, and we find it common in his practice to get alone to pray. And if he needed and found it important to do that, how much more that we need to get into the closet, close the door, indicating that we're shutting everything out so that we can focus in his presence. We need a continual restoration in our spirit and in our soul. So he gave commandment to depart to the other side. And a certain scribe came and said unto him, Master, I will follow thee whithersoever you go. Listen to what Jesus, how Jesus responded to him. Jesus saith unto him, The foxes have holes, the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man hath not where to lay his head. Let's again pause. 
What was Jesus saying to that, that, that scribe, that individual? Was he saying, I don't have a place to call home? Or was he saying, maybe in more obscure wording, scribe, if you want to follow me, this is what it will cost you. Because the foxes have holes, the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man hath not where to lay his head. Indicating that there is a cost involved. A cost. Let's continue on and see about that cost. Another of his disciples said unto him, Lord, suffer me first to go and bury my father. Jesus said unto him, follow me and let the dead bury their dead. That's hard, if not harsh, isn't it? Now, as, as we can consider this, we really don't know how Ill, in Ill, Ill health this man's father was. Was he suggesting that his father was about to die? Or had already died, or was he even saying, wait until after my 40-year-old dad's gone, and I hope he lives till he's 90 or 100? We don't really know what his delay really was, but Jesus simply said, follow me. That was the key point. point. And while that statement, let the dead bury their dead, would sound like it's a harsh statement, when we continue to delve into the subject of being a disciple, we'll find exactly what he means and how important it is to follow him. Now, Bonhoeffer, you know who Dietrich Bonhoeffer was, don't you? The one that wrote the book literally wrote the book on the cost of discipleship. He lived it out, having his life taken from him as a disciple of Christ. This is what he suggests the main thrust of this passage would be. And I quote him, Jesus summons men to follow him not as a teacher or a pattern of the good life, but as the Christ, the Son of God, when are called to follow Christ, we are summoned to an exclusive attachment to his person. When we are called to follow Christ, we are summoned to an exclusive attachment to his person. When I jump back up there to that passage then, and I read that from that perspective, I'm kind of reminded of the Christian categorization that Jesus brings to us in the book of Revelation, where he uses the term lukewarm. Not really hot, definitely not cold, but in that position where where there's lukewarmness and it's a casual christianity it's a it's a uh, uh, a lukewarm christianity 
R.C. Sproul's is a quote that uh, says something to the effect of uh, something about liberal Christianity. And, and uh, you, have to, you have to be careful about how you define the word liberal. But coming from R.C. Sproul in the context, uh, I, would think, I would think that what he was saying would fall right into this category of lukewarm, a casual, not a robust following. That's what he was saying. And he said a liberal Christianity is really no Christianity at all. Well, God help us when we think about that, when we stop and compare that, or we, we look at that as a mirror on the wall for our own life. The temperature. Where do we fall into that category? Where do we fall in this particular depiction of being a disciple? Let's move on to Mark's gospel, chapter number 8. And here we, we begin our reading at verse number 34. And when he had called the people unto him with his disciples also, he said unto them, Whosoever will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Now, not everybody writes in their Bibles, and that's okay. But if you write or if you highlight in your Bible, highlight that. Highlight that so you can be reminded of it every time you open up that, to that page. Whosoever will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it. But whosoever shall lose his life for my sake and the gospel's, the same shall save it. Now, how can, we, how can we put that into our terminology here? How can we paraphrase that in our, in our own mind to understand exactly what he's saying? If you don't, can't understand it exactly that way, then, then let me try to paraphrase it for you. What he's saying here is complete surrender. Complete surrender, not a partial surrender, not a Sunday surrender. I, I kind of listen to a lot of different preachers. Sunday afternoons, I take a little bit of time and, and go around and, and listen to a number of uh, tidbits here and tidbits there. I don't always get the context, but... I think a lot of pastors are, are, are feeling the partial surrender has become commonplace. I'm not going to say anything about where you are tonight, but let's just throw it out there. Where are we? Partial surrender or full surrender? Because what we're finding here in this passage, in these passages about being a disciple, we can't find anything that falls short of full surrender in order to be a full or a real disciple, a true disciple, complete surrender. In other words, we could say a living sacrifice. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living sacrifice. Or in other words, we could say, for me to live is Christ. Now, what does that word live mean? How, what all is confined within that four-letter word? That's a big word when you look at the meaning of it. 
for me to live, that means for me to breathe, for me to eat, for me to sleep, for me to work, for me to play, for me to shop, for me to drive 465, or whatever the worst and most hectic and scary road that you drive. When my mom and dad came back from Haiti, they came out to visit me. When they were living down there back in the late nine or late eighties, uh, I guess it was early nineties, they came out to visit us, and I took them for a ride. We were going somewhere, and I went around to four sixty five. Well, back then I was used to four sixty five. Back then it was just simply a what a four lane highway. Now I think it's sometimes an eight lane highway. <clears throat> My dad was sitting shotgun beside me, and he kind of leaned over and he said, "Son, you're going to have to." Slow down. He was getting scared. I don't know. How could you be scared after you come home from Haiti? I don't know. If any of you have been to Haiti or some of those uh, third world countries, it's really, really scary at times. But he couldn't handle all of that traffic that was going on and the buzzing and the, and the in and the out. And, and uh, you know, nowadays I look at that traffic on 465 and think, where is everybody going in such a hurry? And then I stop and think about this thought for me to live is Christ. Everything that I do, everything that I do, I do it that God will be praised or that God will be glorified. That's a strong statement. But that's what he's saying here in this passage, that if a person loses his life, they will find it in him. That's the words basically of the song of that I quoted just a couple of Sundays ago. <coughs> Let's move on to verse number 36. For what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? Somebody said that that last verse there, what shall a man give in exchange for his soul, really is talking about a person who has sold his soul. What will he have in hand in which to buy it back or with which to buy it back? And I can see on the, on the screen of that transaction, that attempted transaction, I can see it on that screen, insufficient funds. Because if you gain the whole world, it's still not sufficient to buy your soul. But he's saying that if we give, if we, if we lose ourselves in him, whosoever therefore shall be ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation of him also shall the Son of Man be ashamed when he cometh in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. <clears throat> now don't think that that word adulterous there is talking about marriage and such. He's talking about spiritual disloyalty. Shamed of me and my words in this spiritual disloyal generation. That's what he's talking about. 
You keep it in context and you can see that because he's talking about people that are holding on to themselves, hanging on to a portion or a piece. No, God, you can't have that part. I'll give you everything else, but this little bit's mine. But Jesus is saying to follow me, you have to deny yourself. You have to take up the cross and to follow him. Foxes have holes, holes, birds have nests, but the Son of Man doesn't have a place to lay his head. It's a complete surrender. Luke chapter 14, verse number 25. Several weeks ago when Sister Webb was here, I commented that I had just uh, recently, maybe it was just that day, had found an outline of Orlo Webb's, her husband's, and this was the text. I went back and looked at it again after that, and, and I have it still laying on uh, my desk downstairs so that I can look at it from time to time. <clears throat> but this is the text. I'm not going to be by any means trying to preach his outline, but this was the text. And there went great multitudes with him, and he turned and said unto them, If any man come to me and hate not his father and mother and wife and children and brethren and sisters, yea, his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. And whosoever doth not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Again, pretty strong words, aren't they? Now, as a kid, if the preacher would have preached that, I would say, well, that's easy. I can, I can, I, I can give up my sister. You know, four brothers, four of us guys, and one, one girl. She hardly stood a chance to survive, and yet she did. Oh, it's easy. I, I could give up. You know, I can, I can hate my sister. But that's not what he's talking about. He's not talking about that kind of hate. He's talking about a giving up, a releasing of. It's, he still wants us to love. You remember that love is the key to being a disciple, but he's talking about hanging on to things, and we have to give up these particular relationships in order for us to have the right relationship with God. Not that we can't have a relationship with mom and dad and brothers and sisters and, and all of these others. <coughs> He's stating here the cost of discipleship. The cost of discipleship. And then, in verse number 28, he goes in to give parables stating the importance of counting the cost. When you hear somebody say that they need to count the cost, don't don't discourage them. Don't make it sound like that's a bad thing. Oh, you don't need to count the cost. You need to just plunge in. Well, I know that sounds good, but we need to be aware at some point of the cost of discipleship. Otherwise, we end up with a liberal discipleship, a a liberal Christianity. For which of you, verse number 28, intending to build a tower, sitteth not down first and counteth the cost, whether he have sufficient to finish it, Lest happily, after he hath laid the foundation and is not able to finish it, all that behold it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. So 
So you see that parable that he's talking about there. There's a necessity of counting the cost. Or what king, verse number 31, goeth to make war against another king, sitteth not down first and consulteth whether he be able with 10,000 to meet him that cometh against him with 20,000. And if he decides that he can't, while the other is yet a great way off, he sendeth an uh, embassage and desiring conditions of peace. He's encouraging this thing. Count the cost. See. So likewise, whoever be he be of you that forsaketh not all that he hath, he cannot be my disciple. <coughs> Now understand here, he's being repetitive. You know what happens when somebody's repetitive? How many school teachers are here? How many parents are here? Have you ever been repetitive in order to get a point across? It's necessary. Sometimes, not trying to belittle anybody, but sometimes we adults need repetitive teaching as well. We don't always get it the first time. Sometimes we don't always hear it the first time. He's being repetitive, using different words, the cost of being a disciple. But the gist of what he's saying is that we must hold loosely all that we have and all that we are. Somebody said, I've heard it all of my life. Maybe you've heard it all of your life. It's good for us to hear it often. We need to hold things that God gives to us in an open hand, an open palm not closing our fingers around anything that he has. Well, they're my possessions. No, they're a gift from God. Open our hand. Remember what Job had to say at the end of the very first chapter of his book. You know what Job said about possessions? The Lord hath given and the Lord hath taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Dr. Childers says it this way, and I'm going to conclude. I give you a quote. This radical passage does not imply that the imperfect discipleship of many of Jesus' followers was not valid at all. He is stating in absolute terms the implications of discipleship, implications which are not always seen at conversion. If you didn't hear what I've just said, hear this part. But as men sincerely follow Jesus, sooner or later he will bring these full claims into sharp focus. Then a man must make a fresh decision. Either he confirms and seeks to perfect his discipleship by paying the full price, or he begins to hedge and dodge, and ultimately walks no more with him, even as Jesus said in John chapter 6, of those that walk no more with him. There's a crossroads there. All believers, he said, reached sooner or later a second major crisis of decision. This is the crossroad of the call to entire sanctification, not doctrinally stated in this passage, but inescapably implied by the absolute terms 
the absolute terms of, of discipleship. Being a disciple. What is being a disciple? To summarize it very simply, Jesus said, come, take up your cross, follow me. Open-handed, following him. For me to live is Christ. Would you stand with me tonight? Lord willing, next Sunday, Ron Stevens will be with you, preaching in both services. And uh, Lord willing, next Sunday, the Lord will be with you and will be with us in Pennsylvania. Pray for the different vehicles that will be traveling on Thursday and some coming back on Monday, some coming back later than that. I want to stop in and see my mom while I'm out there, spend a little time with mom and... uh, Kind of hard to go to CPYC, which takes us the route that I go to get there within a mile of mom's house, so it probably ought to stop by. Uh, I need to stop by. So, uh, again, pray for us, those traveling in the, in the convention itself. Let's be his disciple. Walk with him this week. Praise God. Praise God. Ben Bridges, would you dismiss us in prayer tonight?